Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this edition of Kermode on Film. And I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Kermode on Film podcast, Jack Howard. Jack, Hello. hi. So, Jack, uh, in the last few episodes, we've talked about Bohemian Rhapsody, which we both like, but I think for different reasons. And we had a bit of a set to you about which is the best and worst of the Dark Knight trilogy. However, for this episode, we're going to talk about a film in which I think we have different views, but I, I wait to find out. This episode, we're going to talk about The Shining. Yeah, so, so recently Mark and I were talking about what film we should discuss this week. Yeah. And Mark said, what do you think of The Shining? I went, oh yeah, I like The Shining. Expecting that to be the mutual, yeah. like, oh yeah, we both kind of like The Shining. And you went, okay, let's do The Shining. Let's do The Shining. And that was just like an ominous, you just <laughs> left, you just left <laughs> after that. And I haven't spoken to you since. Hey, weather forecast said it's going to snow tonight. What do you want me to do about it? So, shall I kick off and then... Please. Okay. I'm, I'm excited to hear what you what you think. So, The Shining, which is a Stephen uh, King adaptation directed by Stanley Kubrick, uh, is generally considered by sort of modern audiences to be one of the greatest horror movies ever made. If you do one of those you know, top ten scariest films ever made, which they do every Halloween, the three contenders for the top spot tend to be... The Shining, Psycho, and The Exorcist. And they sort of, you know, they change around, but it's basically those three. And it's it's always been, it seems to me, the smart choice, the connoisseur's choice, the intelligent choice to say, oh, well, of course, I think uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is the greatest horror movie. And yes, time. I understand it. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, my thing has always been The Exorcist is not only the scariest movie ever made or the best horror film ever made, it's also the best movie ever made. And I have thought about The Shining an awful lot. And it's not just that I don't think The Shining is the greatest horror movie ever made. I don't think I'd even include The Shining in my list of the top 10 horror movies ever made. Now, that's not to say that I don't think that there are things about The Shining which are great, because there are. But I think it is a fundamentally flawed and problematic film. Wendy. (laughs) Yes. You've got a big surprise coming to you. (laughs) You're not going anywhere. (laughs) Go check out the snowcat in the radio and you'll see what I mean. (laughs) The best way to kick this off is to say that I remember going to see The Shining when it first opened in the UK and you wouldn't even have been born. You're learning. I am learning. <laughs> and you weren't around when Freddie Mercury was around as well. I remember yeah. that as well. Okay. 
Stanley Kubrick had developed this reputation of being the person who made the archetypal film in whichever genre he worked. So, 2001 is the great science fiction movie. Doctor Strangelove is the great anti-war movie. Clockwork Orange is the great dystopian satire movie. Barry Lyndon, which I know had some issues when it first came out, but is now considered to be, you know, the great costume drama period. And The Shining was Stanley Kubrick comes to do the great horror movie. And I remember the publicity in advance. It was a really big deal because it was Stephen King, Stephen King, who kind of who had made his name initially through Carrie, which had become a very, very successful film for Brian De Palma. I mean, Carrie is a really slim paperback. It's funny because in Stephen King's back catalogue, if you've got the books on your bookshelf, which I have, Carrie, Carrie <laughs> just seems like a kind of, you know, I just knock this off in an afternoon. <laughs> and then you've got The Shining and The Stand, which are all taking up, you know, yards and yards of space. And I don't think that in advance of The Shining coming out, I was aware that Stephen King had not been crazy about it. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Anyway, so I went to the Gaumont in North Finchley, which was the sort of the picture palace that was near where I lived, to go see The Shine, which is Stanley Kubrick is going to do the greatest horror movie ever made. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970? Well, a man named Charles Grady is the winter caretaker. And he came up here with his wife and two little girls, I think about eight and ten. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family with an axe. By that point, obviously, you know, the, the bar for me had been set by Exorcist, but there was a number of other horror movies I had found really, really scary. I remember being really freaked out by Rosemary's Baby the first time I saw it, and, you know, and Oni Barbar and things like that. So I sat there watching The Shining, and I remember this really, really clearly, because if it was 19, 1980s, something, I was born in 63, so I would have been 17, 18, something like that. I remember sitting there upstairs in the balcony in the Gaumont thinking, when is this going to get scary? Mm. And... The answer was that for me, it never did. What it did was it got interesting and it got weird and it did stuff that I could see. But I, what I never got from it was a sense of visceral attachment. And there are a number of reasons for that. The first one is it seemed to be glacially removed from its subject. And for me, horror is always about, it has to work on a kind of primal level. It has to work on the, the level of getting you in the gut. So some of the horror movies I like the best don't make a lot of sense. I mean, A Quiet Place, for example, when I was watching A Quiet Place, I loved it in the cinema. It makes no sense whatsoever. Why don't they just go and live near the waterfall? Why don't they just make a big machine that makes a noise in the middle of the woods and then they can all make all the noise they want to make? It it doesn't make any sense. But whilst I was watching the film, I didn't care about it. Yeah, that's the best sort of stuff is when that stuff doesn't bother you when you're watching the movie. And it doesn't bother me because it's gripping me sort of viscerally. All the time that I was watching The Shining, that first time, and I've since then I must have seen it probably 20, 30 times in various different cuts, because as you know, there's the, the, the longer American cut and there's the international cut. Although I have to say, I think it's interesting that quite often it doesn't matter which cut you're watching. When people talk about the, you know, the differences. There's the one with the skeletons in it, there's one without the skeletons in it, there's the one with the, with the bit at the end. To be honest with you, I think The Shining is The Shining in whichever version. I know that cineasts don't like that, but I think it is just The Shining. My problem with it is all the time it looks to me like somebody coming in from the outside to make 
the great horror movie and never fully engaging with what it is that a horror movie does. And the comparison is, and this is, sounds like a terribly unfair comparison, is John Borman making Exorcist to the Heretic. Ooh. Which felt, no, 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 I'm not saying that, that Ooh, I mean, I'm not saying, <laughs> wait, wait, I'm not saying that, that The Shining is the Heretic, but it's the same thing about somebody coming in from, the, from outside to make the great horror movie and being above it. So John Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think that he came at it basically being like, I'm going to do better than all the other people who are more experienced at this and I, and I feel like I'm going to make what you just described yes. as the connoisseur I of do. horror movies. I do. And, if, and, and there is some historical uh, you know, basis for this, which is that when Kubrick was making The Shining, one of the things he did was um, that he looked at what everybody else had done and he looked at what was available and he looked for, for something that he, you know, that he could do, that he could put his stamp on that would be better. When Kubrick made Eyes Wide Shut, which for my money is his worst film, one of the things that we know he did was called in a bunch of other erotic thrillers to see, you know, what the what the marketplace looked like at the moment, to see what, you know, I mean, I just think this is hilarious idea that you know, Stanley Kubrick going, um, anyone got any Greg Dark films? I've, <laughs> Night Rhythms 3, is that around? So, you know, uh, Secret Games 2, I haven't seen any of that. But in the case of uh, Shining, one of the things that he did was he called in The Exorcist. And I know this is true because I've seen the, 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 the sheet they requested it from Warner's, and there's a note, a handwritten note by him saying, "Keep this, hold on to this," because he watched it, you know, over and over again. Kubrick was peripherally involved in Exorcist right at the very beginning when they were looking for somebody to direct it in the early '70s, and he was one of the names that was in the mix, and he didn't want to do it, not least because he produces his, his own films, but he was one of the people that Warner's considered as a possible director for it. And I look at it and I think that yes, it is endlessly fascinating we'll talk about room 237 all that stuff but it's not scary and i think for a horror movie that is a fundamental problem red rock 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 danny what's the matter hon red rock you having a bad dream interesting um i do find it scary but not when i'm watching it isn't that interesting that like i when i'm watching it i love the vast wide shots that he uses obviously the following steadicam shots which he made so famous where your eyes are darting around the sea the the screen constantly looking for something that never comes i love that the score changes sometimes for no reason that it doesn't sync up with stuff. Like, there's a one bit that I particularly noted because I watched it again yesterday. You watched the long version? The long version yesterday. But but but, but we should say, not knowingly so. Yes. You just watched... I just watched the watched long version. version and it's it been years to... since yeah. I've seen it. Exactly. And I was just like, I'll watch this version yeah. of, of The Shining. And, and it just turned... And you... So it was probably a different version to the first version you saw. But yes, but, it probably but is. But did you watch it thinking <laughs> it's a different <laughs> no, film? No, no, not at all. Exactly. Because it's still got all the major bits It's the bits same in it. film. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> It's <laughs> <laughs> just a bit longer. Yeah. Um, so, like, I remember specifically the bit where Danny's one of the scenes where Danny's riding on his on his tricycle, yeah. and he just turns a corner when the camera doesn't follow him, and the music just goes, and it just goes up as if something's yeah. happened. Right. And I just liked how unsettling it was that the movie was just t- constantly preparing you for something scary to happen, then it never does. How beautifully! Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Preparing you for something scary to happen, and then it, it never, never, never does. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, 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 but no, you... no, 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 I don't mean that. I okay. mean that, like, it's just unsettling you the entire time. Yeah. And then there are times where, like, it crash zooms into his face and no sound changes at all. And then it just reveals the girls, like, stood in the kitchen. Come and play with us, Daddy. Forever. And ever. And ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> Forever and ever and ever. Yeah, that bit is horrible. Like, that bit is... This is it. Is it like, it's not scary. I think it's disturbing. And, I, it's, well, it's it's like not a traditional horror movie in the sense that you don't really watch someone go mad. You just sort of wait for it to happen. Because from the very start, you're like, Jack Nicholson's messed up. What was the donut party? They were a party of settlers in covered wagon times. They got snowbound one winter in the mountains. They had to resort to cannibalism in order to stay alive. You mean they ate each other, huh? They had to, in order to survive. Yeah. Don't worry, Mom. I know all about cannibalism. I saw it on TV. See? It's okay. Saw it on the television. Let me leap in there because, because you've raised this, okay? One of the things about Shining, in terms of the Stephen King novel, it, it, it's basically the haunting of Hill House. So the story is, is the same structure as Haunting of Hill House. That right. somebody goes to a building that has a haunted past and they turn out to be the haunted past, okay? Yeah. Classic. The, the, exactly. And this is an idea which is most perfectly encapsulated in Haunting of Hill House, which I think is, you know, the, the, the great work of, of horror literature. And when um, Peter Straub wrote Ghost Story, which is a, a book which it attempts to to bring together all the traits of the ghost story, Peter Straub does this this wonderful thing. I've talked about this before. He does this wonderful thing in which there is uh, th- there's an event which is remembered three different ways. The central character is having a relationship with this mysterious woman and he wakes up one night and she's looking out the window and she's looking out the moon and she says something and her back is turned to him and I think she turns and then she then she faces him. The first time he hears it, he thinks that she says, I saw a ghost. And then later on, he realises that she didn't say that. What she said is, I am a ghost. And then later on, he realises you are a ghost, okay? And Peter Straub says it's the realisation at the heart of all great ghost stories. So that's what The Shining is. The problem with the the movie of The Shining is that it's meant to be the sort of depiction of somebody's descent into an existing situation. But as you say, Jack Nicholson is absolutely batshit crazy from the beginning <laughs> at the very beginning when they have the interview in which they're explaining to him that here's the thing you need to know it's a long time he's out got the there classic eyebrows going yeah, on it's and you know sinister smile if you think about the 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 opening of uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest which is the point at which he's being committed to the asylum and he's doing the kind of the whole you know jack nicholson oh well i'm a bit crazy and a bit roguey although it's interesting enough if you look at one flew over the cuckoo's nest now that scene is particularly creepy for reasons we won't go into right now but it seems to me that from the beginning of the shining jack nicholson 
is bonkers. So the whole thing about Torrance then finding that the house is bringing all this stuff out of him, yeah, it's there already. Yeah. Now, I know that you can say, well, that's the whole point. The point is that he is always the thing that, that's, you know, you've always been, you've always been. <laughs> but yeah, but he's, it's like, dial it down. Yeah. Like, do the, do that. And you, you know that Kubrick will have done that scene 120 times to get that performance out of it. Uh, did they... Uh... Give you any idea in Denver about uh, what the job entails? Only in a very general way. Well, the winners can be fantastically cruel. And the basic idea is to, to cope with the very costly damage and depreciation which can occur. And this consists mainly of running the boiler, heating different parts of the hotel on a daily rotating basis, repairing damage as it occurs, and doing repairs so that the elements can't get a foothold. Well, that sounds fine to me. Mm. Physically, it's, it's not a very demanding job. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is a uh, tremendous sense of isolation. Well, that <clears throat> just happens to be exactly what I'm looking for. I'm, uh, I'm outlining a new writing project, and uh, five months of peace is just what I want. That's very good, Jack. Because... Uh, for some people, uh, solitude and isolation can, of itself, become a problem. Not for me. How about your wife and son? How do you think they'll take to it? They'll love it. Right. So from the very beginning, it's, okay, you are crazy. And there's no way I'm sending you and your wife and your small child up to the Overlook Hotel to spend the winter there because it's going to end very, very badly. <laughs> Secondly, that whole thing about the haunting of Hill House is the haunting of Hill House works because you are completely associated with the central character and her descent into the madness of the house. That progression is interesting to watch. Like it's like Goodfellas or anything. Like just watching yeah. somebody like the downfall of a character. But at the, at the beginning, you befriend them. At the beginning, you share their anxieties. Whereas at the beginning share, of The Shining, you, go, you have every reason to yeah, dislike and go, distrust. He Jack is going to end up walking around that house with an axe. Yeah, and it's it's literally just a matter of how. So that's one problem. Second problem is in terms of. Right, all those tracking shots that you talk about, which I think are brilliant, you know, yes, absolutely. Well, firstly, people talk about, you know, Kubrick's revolutionary use of the Steadicam. You know, John Carpenter was doing that stuff with the Panaglide in the opening of Halloween, and I yes. still think that the opening of Halloween, of the thing of going round the house and going in the, the you know, the, the killer's point of view in that opening sequence in Halloween pretty much does all that stuff that The Shining is then all famously doing and rewriting the rule book. Well, not really. No, yeah, John Carpenter has done all that I already. I wouldn't say it was rewriting the rule book, but I would say that like it took an idea and like really not perfected it but definitely like, did it to the max did it to the max like the the huge wides so how steady it still is as well because mm. when you watch the opening of halloween now it is a little bit jerky and a little bit like it's a little bit it, it feels a little bit homemade which is obviously what it was yeah it, be, it cost nothing at yeah, all and exactly it's, you know. so there's, there's a charm to it and you know it's really old but when you watch the shining and you're knowing that's old you know it's 
only a few years older than, than yeah, Halloween, coming, yeah, yeah. I think that it still comes across. Yeah, but The Shining is made in a studio in which Kubrick has access to every toy and yeah. tr- you know available. Incredibly true. Uh, you know, Halloween is made by John Carpenter knocking it together on the fly for no money whatsoever. And there is definitely an aspect of filmmaking that I prefer knowing how something was made, the love that was put into it. But I don't think that there was any less love in, in The Shining. I think there was just more money involved in it, in it that let those ideas come to, to life in a better, well, not a better way, but a definitely a more pr- polished way than, than it was in, in so, Halloween. So what scares you about The Shining? Um... It's it's just odd. It's just unsettling and weird. And it's what's interesting about The Shining as well is that I'm a kid of the '90s, so I heard no beer and no TV make Homer go crazy before I heard no work and, ja- and all play make Jack a dull boy. How do you like it? How do you like it? I saw The Simpsons spoof of The Shining before I saw The Shining. (laughs) And my other memory of The Shining as well is that I was, when I was a kid, uh, I used to watch wrestling at my grandmother's place. And my dad used to come in and watch it with me sometimes. And we left my sister in the other room with with my grandmother, who was Greek. And she came in, she was like, I'm going to bed Where now. Where is this story wait, going, Jack? Wait, 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 wait. My mum, my nana came in being like, I'm going to bed now. I've left Charlotte in there. Um, and my, my dad was like, okay, what's she watching? She was like, oh, just some, she's Greek. She was like, just some movie about a little boy. <laughs> then she went to bed. My dad went in. 20 minutes later, she's just sat there watching The Shining. <laughs> just, just the scene where he's going around on his tricycle. And she's like a little girl. Like, okay. she's like tiny. So that's like my two memories of The Shining. Don't know why I wanted to bring that up. Okay. Um, but you still, so what's scary about what's it? Scary about what's scary about The Shining? What's scary? Um, Would you, tell me some things in The Shining that actually make you scared. Uh, I think that the use of editing unsettles me. The, 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 Far too vague, Jack. Give me a specific yeah, instance. I'm going to get there. Um, the, the, right at the start, it starts to unsettle you from when it's zooming in on Danny's face in the mirror when he's talking to... What's his name? Red. Yeah, yeah, but what's, what's the character, that he, the imaginary friend? Is his name Tony or something? Yeah. Something like that. And when it starts flashing to the blood and then to the girls and then to his own face looking shocked yeah. and then back to the mirror again. And just that editing, but like no sound happens, like unsettles me. Just... The imagery of the blood still is horrible. The girls being murdered is horrible. The bear at the end who's giving a man a blowjob, I think. (laughs) I don't know what's happening there. But that is unsettling. The weird crash zooms. The weird history behind it. The fact that it's like an an Indian uh, burial ground and uh, all that sort of stuff. I think that it gets less scary when it gets into the simple stuff at the end, which is just Jack Nicholson's got an axe now. Um, but I think that all the setup and the and the atmosphere of it is unsettling to the point where afterwards I'm, like I said, looking over my shoulder a bit and like feeling a little bit scared. I, I'm I'm you know I'm a I'm an, a grown adult man and okay. still I'm just like oh I'm I'm scared to just go to sleep on my own. Okay. It, it just has that feeling. The scene in it in which Scatman Crothers is walking around uh, downstairs and Jack Nicholson suddenly appears from behind the pillar and hits him with the axe. Did you jump? No. Right. Right, but that's it, not... No, 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 I'm sorry. It's a jump scare. Yeah, but my... Okay, but it, but, my but criticisms of, 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 of The Shining are actually that I think The Shining's weird. I think that The Shining, having The Shining, mm-hmm. is a really odd thing in the movie. And I think that 
his character this is another thing with Kubrick as well is like when he does exposition and when he doesn't and this movie does loads of exposition and no exposition I can remember when I was a little boy my grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths she called it shiny and for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had the shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. I actually think that it'd be very interesting to see a cut of the movie where they took out the explanation of The Shining and just left all the visions in mm-hmm. and just made it feel like these two people were connected for some reason and you just never, yeah. it was never explained. Don't you feel that in the film, all the stuff that explains what The Shining is, it has got absolutely nothing yes. to do with the film? Yes, when I, when I rewatched it yesterday, I was like, I don't remember it being this jarring. Like In the first just, half hour, he just, just goes, you've got telekinetic yeah, abilities. This is the thing. Like, yeah, what? It's just, that's weird. That, that, that's, yeah, but I also, agree with you on that. It appears to have nothing to do with the story. Yes, that it, is true. It, it, you just go, okay, Fine, and you've put that in because because that's the name of the film. Yeah. Because actually, it, you could easily call it not The Shining. You yes. could call it Jack Torrance goes crazy in a big hotel. Yeah. Because it, the whole the whole The Shining part of it is an, totally relevant. I completely agree. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. So you talked about the lift and the blood, okay? Mm-hmm. The trailer for The Shining was the lift and the blood. It was so, just that. Yeah, well, when I saw it, when I the first trailer that I saw for it, again, I remember seeing it at the Gaumont, and it was the So thing, you'd already been prepared for that image when you I, went that, in? I thought that image was absolutely brilliant. You know, the slow motion, the thing mm-hmm. open, and the kind of curtain of blood coming out of it. It was like, oh, And the way it know, just, like, waves the way, up the exactly, camera and, and goes think, black. This is going to be something else. And then you watch the film, and you go... Oh, it's, that's that scene. Mm-hmm. That's and it's that. contextless as well. Yeah. It's con- but also that's that scene that I have seen before. And that is the most powerful moment in the film. With the exception, of, I mean, people always you know, quote Shelley Duvall in the bathroom and the axe coming through. But by that point, and I don't mean this actually necessarily as a criticism, The Shining has turned into a comedy. All that stuff at the end, when Jack Nicholson has gone completely crazy, when Shelley Duvall is walking backwards up the stairs and he's got the baseball bat and he's saying, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. in. (laughs) And all the stuff with the swing in the axe and, you know... It's like, oh, that's why he was cast as the Joker. (laughs) Because it's fun to watch him do that. But by that point, it's turned into a comedy. 
And a, you know, a dark comedy, a black comedy, satirical comedy, but it's turned into a comedy. I remember actually, you've said this before about, about Evil Dead. It's like replacing pies in the face with blood and guts. Yeah, well, I mean, that was Sam, Ra- Sa- Sam Raimi's um, explanation of Evil Dead was always that it's a Three Stooges movie in which right. it's got, you know... Well, that's, it, that's how The Shining almost feels in the third act, is that you're just watching... You're watching Jack Nicholson doing Here's Johnny. And yeah, he's, which and is why it's it almost is funny to me as well because I, like I mentioned, saw the Simpsons parody before and it's not that different. Yeah, but the, but the thing is... That's not scary. What that is, is I mean, I, I actually I really love those sequences because because there is that sort of insane comedic element to them, and because it's the thing that Jack Nicholson does the best. It's like it's almost like Kubrick's on. Okay, fine, do full Jack. And of course, when you see the on set stuff, all his direction is Shelley Duvall. Mm. I mean, all his direction is you know making Shelley Duvall feel feel you know belittled and, and worthless in order to get that performance out of her. And I know there's a lot of debate about how Shelley Duvall was was treated in the film, and the argument is always, but look at the performance. I mean, she's she genuinely the most terrifying thing in the film is Shelley Duvall's reaction. Yes, but Nicholson is just doing Nicholson. He's just you know swinging the axe and doing the thing. Yes. And, and you know he's J.P. McMurphy to, to, to all intents and purposes. I must admit that. I didn't feel any sense of dread or anxiety when she was trapped in that bathroom. Maybe because I know the outcome now, like it's been so long, but I don't know. Like, I don't think I ever felt like that tension. But Jack, also the outcome is they crawl out of the window, they slide down the thing, Jack Nicholson chases them round the, the maze, and then he stops. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that with, with Kubrick's direction of it, it was more about like, because it's really smart, like, and it's really like, exciting cinema like if it wasn't a horror movie quote yeah. unquote yeah. you'd be watching that scene and I did watch it with this in mind like when he's in the maze and the boy retreads his steps yeah. and then covers up his own tracks you're like it's it's almost kind of fun a fun thriller to watch but it's also got all this like supernatural horror elements included and I think some of the best that moments thing, that thing with him walking backwards in his own steps yeah. is one of the few moments when the film does something that actually looks like a horror thriller. You go, oh, I've, you know, I'm going to turn left by walking mm-hmm. backwards in my steps and then jumping. And you go, oh, okay, I'm suddenly, suddenly I'm engaged in this mm-hmm. because suddenly that makes sense. And then it... But I, I must admit as well that like in that, in that maze scene, because you're in a maze yeah. and they don't give you any, it's all very uh, subjective. They don't give you any objective point of view of it. You have no idea of location. So you're almost with Jack Nicholson in that scene and you're, you don't know how tense it is because you don't yeah. know how far away the boy is. You don't really know any sense, you don't have any sense of geography. So when the boy's stepping over his steps, I'm not going quick, 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 quick. I'm going, I don't know any, I don't know if he's around the corner. I don't know if he's in a different section of the maze. I don't really feel any sense of dread. And then when he finally finds the footsteps, it's obviously like, ha, he's outsmarted him, but I'm not feeling like anxiety that he's going to find him. And then it just, it ends by him getting out and then they go free. Yeah, you're right. And then it, Obviously, there's the twist that okay. he was always there, you, you, but, you've always I, been but then, but then it, it does that, and I, and again, like I must admit, like I'm sitting there being frustrated that, like, but was he a ghost then? What what happened? Is he the reincarnation of himself? What what? I, I almost like doesn't go. Oh, the twist is that he he was there all along, and he was also a ghost. It was you almost leave it going, huh? <laughs> okay, but, okay, so but, but, but I have it, more questions, but Jack. In a nutshell. 
that noise that you just made is my problem with the Shining. Huh. So now you watch Room 237, right? And all these you know, film theorists. And I, I really love Room 237, which is a documentary in which but basically people talk all over the Shining. And they explain that it's a film about this. It's a film about that. It's a film about the Holocaust. It's a film about him faking the moon landings. It's a film about, you know, this form. So blah, 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 blah. blah. And one of, the, one of the great things about The Shining, and incidentally, I do think The Shining is a really interesting movie i just don't think it's a great horror movie and you you realize that there are all these things that may or may not be going on in the shining but the thing that's really clever about it is that it's a film that will give you back anything that you, you bring to it and you know this was always the thing that you know that a great movie gives to you what you give to it and it's certainly the case with the shining and you just need to look at room 237 for proof if you come to the shining with some crazy conspiracy theory about what it's about the shining will hold up a mirror and reflect it and i think on that level it is a really astonishing piece of cinema because yeah for me like when i when i watched it this time um it's going to say a lot about me i think but it felt to me like a boy who's aware his parents are arguing and who are going to split up and are bad for each other. And it was about his point of view of that happening. Because every time, because his shining was being too aware of that. And okay. whenever they fight, you cut to him having a little seizure or something. It happens multiple times in the movie. Okay. And that to me felt like what the movie was about was him just, it was Danny's point of view and his way of coping with his parents ultimately going to have a divorce and they are really really uh, abusive toxic relationship okay so this is fascinating so for you it, it, it that you find that, that is was that did you find that scary um i mean you was you identified with danny yes yes okay the, the, i think this is really interesting because one of the things that I, when I was doing my PhD on horror fiction, okay, and one of the things that I wrote about was paedophobia, the fear of children in horror movies, okay, in horror literature. Oh, it, so, you're, so you're saying that usually people are frightened of the children and, and, and scared what they'll do. There is, yeah, there and is. And there is a, this obviously underlying anxiety of like, oh, is Danny going to turn out to be a little child murderer? Yeah, and is, is Danny somehow bringing it into the house yeah. with him? Ram, yeah. All that stuff. However, um, and it's, it's, it is certainly true that there is a whole spate of horror literature and horror movies in the 1960s and early 1970s, which are about adults being scared of children. And there's a very kind of cod uh, sociological reading of this, which is that, you know, generation gap. There's a there's a famous book written called They Don't Speak Our Language, which is written for American parents to attempt to understand what it is that their kids are saying. In the middle of this outcome of The Exorcist, in which is Reagan speaking a demonic language, mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So there is a whole uh, sort of slew of movies about being scared of kids. And it goes back to, um, you know, things like Turn of the Screw. Scary kids is a big thing. And even when I was a kid, when I watched those movies, I never associated with the kids. I associated with, with, with the parents because that's the point of view that the... I mean, if you read Turn of the Screw, it doesn't matter how young you are, you don't read it thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm identifying with the kids. You identify with everybody else. But that's... So what you're saying is that what's scary is the idea of Danny being aware of his parents fighting. Yes. Okay, well, that is probably the best explanation I've ever heard of why that film might be scary. Because honestly... I, that never does that touch something. Right, like, yeah, I like, think no. I think that's 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 like, when I when I, when I was watching it, and it was just from the very very start of of Danny 
the history of Danny and obviously Shelley Duvall's explanation of his father being a drunk mm. and then accidentally and, dislocating his shoulder. Yeah. Um and and it just seemed to be this imaginary friend and all this sort of stuff seemed to me to be a coping mechanism for that and trying to disconnect himself from reality rather than him being possessed by something. So when you watch that film, I mean, I never thought he was possessed, although there is clearly, when Danny is looking in the mirror, going, red rum, red rum, if you're looking at it in the context of all that pedophobic horror, you are thinking there's some, what, you know, yeah. and he does Especially have... Especially in the moment when he's saying red rum, red rum, yeah. red rum, and then it goes back to his normal voice. That's right. Like, that, that feels like a possession in in a weird way oh yeah no it's traditional way no it is there is definitely a possession motif in that and you you could i mean that you can trace that back to things like john wyndham's chucky and and you know i mean that's it that's a the 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 kind of possession motif is definitely there but what's interesting is i think that you're that you're going into the movie from a different from a different point you know identification point of view whereas i've always thought that it's shelley duvall is the person that you're that you're that you're kind of because she's because she's not the child, because she doesn't understand The Shining, but she knows from the beginning that... Uh, but that, she's that not involved in the final action sequence. No, she's not. She's an outsider, and um, it's, it's about Danny uh, learning that he doesn't have to be like his father, and he can escape that. Literally, he, in, this, in this tangled mess, okay. and he escapes it at the end and, and into the arms of, of the loving mother and, and manages to go and, and escape and live on and defeats it. And that, to me, felt like... What the that the movie literally ending with that uh, as as the final as the final pieces of action felt like that's what the film was about. Maybe it was about Danny. Maybe it was about him. I think we should discuss Danny. I think. We should discuss what should be done. You know, that maybe explains something. That maybe explains why it is that the minute Shelley DeVale's out of the picture, I'm kind of not that interested. Right. Because I'm not connecting with that character in the same way. Because as well, like, there's there's obviously the really interesting things about Jack Nicholson's character uh, giving in to all of his dark, shadowed self in that house. Like, the, uh, the alcoholism, the the abusive nature if we're to believe that he's the one who did abuse uh, and strangle danny yeah. uh the uh sexual uh behavior that he wants to mm. uh, in- in be involved with especially yeah. with like a traditionally beautiful person and how that will be basically be his downfall because you can see that immediately when she decays mm. and all that sort of stuff yeah that's a You're... hokey scene <laughs> i quite like it i see but <laughs> <laughs> that is a kind of yeah come on right? she's, and she's a witch and she's laughing in his face oh sexual revulsion let make eyes wide shut the scary thing about that though is that he goes back to his room and goes yeah nothing there was nothing in there and that was uh, that was what was scary about that I was just like what what so is he li- what's, what's going on in his head so you've got all this like horrible abusive version of, of who he is like the worst version of who Jack Nicholson's character is it intensifies when he's in the house, but my point of view for it is is what how does that affect Danny, and okay. and Danny seems to get worse when he gets worse, and Shelley Duvall seems to be easily swayed into believing that it wasn't uh, Jack Nicholson who well, did Shelley, it. Shelley Duvall, the whole point is that she's the enabler. 
because she's sort of in denial about it. Correct, yeah. Yeah, but that's why I, I always thought that the whole film is about her not being in denial. And the point at which she's not in denial, it, she's still in denial when, he's, when she's walking backwards up the stairs and he's swinging the baseball bat at yeah. her. Stay with me. Please. Don't hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. Stay away from me. Wendy. Stay away. Darling, light of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. I'm going to bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> Stay away from me. Don't hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. Stay away from me. All right, so look, to bring this to a conclusion... Sorry, that, you were, before I interrupted, no, you said you were, going, you were going to say that might explain something. It might explain, I think, why it is that, I, that I've never been scared by it. Because, it because, because it's never... There was never a point of identification for you. Well, but partly, I mean, partly I think that it's... I, I think that making a really scare... Okay, partly I think that making a really scary film has got a lot to do with not laughing at it. So one of the reasons that I think that The Exorcist is really scary is that it is not funny, right? It is not funny. I mean, people can laugh at it, and that's fine. I understand all that, but it's not funny. William Peter Blatty was a comedy screenwriter, and he wrote A Shot in the Dark, and that was where he came from, but The Exorcist is not funny. Mm -hmm. The novel of The Exorcist has got jokes in it. I mean, there's, you know, there's conversations between Kinderman and Karras when, they, you know, there, there, there are jokes and conversations between Father Dyer and Kinderman in which there are jokes, but the film is not funny. In fact, one of the things, when Stephen King wrote um, Dance Macabre, which is his analysis of um, horror novels, he described The Exorcist as a humorless, thudding tract. And this is one of the things that he doesn't like about it. He says it has, literally, it is a film which has no sense of humour. It takes its subject matter dead seriously, and it's, it's, it's got no irony or archness to it and all. you would say the same thing but in a positive way i would say that, that, that it isn't funny and that's one of the reasons why i find it so terrifying yeah, i don't i don't really like it when people say that it takes itself too seriously i'm just like no but it, but it takes itself as seriously as its subject matter yeah. demands and also it is a film about a mother being scared of her child and uh, you know and that is that that's what happens because it's all the whole of the exit is all to do with with chris mcneil's reaction and there is the famous scene which was in the longer cut of the Exorcist, which is much longer in the novel, in which Father Karras says to Father Merrin, it makes no sense why this girl. And Merrin says, it's not her, it's us, we're the targets. You know, she's not the point. Yeah. It's, it's all the rest of us, which is the moment when you, you know, the, the, in which the film stops and says, Let me, in case you haven't got this, yeah. it's not her, okay? <laughs> Hand on the it, shoulder. It's everybody. Else <laughs> For those of you in the back row, this is, this is the thing. And, um, but what you're saying in the case of The Shining is it is about the kid. It is about, and I think that you've that's obviously touched you in a way that it didn't that it that it didn't affect me. Final thoughts: I think I do think the film is endlessly interesting, endlessly fascinating. I think it's got brilliant before. I think Shelley Duvall is absolutely ter terrific in it. I think on a technical level, it's an extraordinary achievement. I love the fact that, you know, he, he basically built the hotel. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I, there is something about the obsession of it. 
Um, Stephen King famously didn't like the film and famously complained that what Kubrick had done was to sort of take Make the Make it bed. cold? Yeah, which, which it is. I mean, it is a very, very cold movie in the same way that 2000 But also, when I hear Stephen King's... I haven't read the book, but when I hear Stephen King's version, I'm just like, it doesn't sound much better. <laughs> like, it, 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 to him, he just... I, I guess the big thing for him is that, like, he wanted the characters to be warmer at the start. Yeah. But I think that some of the changes are for the better because I know that in the in the book his wife and him are a loving couple and things like that but I think in the film it's a better place to, to allow Jet Nicholson's character to indulge in all of his like darkest behaviors yeah. because he's not completely satisfied with his family life yeah but I think if you but I think that the differences between the book and the film you, you, you can't, almost can't reduce them down single it's yeah. like they are completely different yes it is like literally what Stanley Kubrick did was hijack the basic plot outline and the title and then went, yeah. I'll get rid of that. And so, which so consequently, if you were Stephen King, you would go, hang about a minute. Yeah. What's, that's, Where's my book? That's, that's right. <laughs> I didn't write that. Yeah. And of course, it is interesting that of all the Stephen King adaptations for a long time, that was the one that was. I mean, I know that Carrie got good reviews, but that was the one which everyone said it's the great Stephen King adaptation, and consequently, it's the one that he hated the most. Um, what's the film that has scared you the most? Honestly, uh, I can. Uh, the first, the one that comes to mind is The Grudge. Oh, okay, the first grudge. Yes, but, but because I saw it when I was a kid, and it was it was about okay. like it was it was that home invasion stuff yeah, of yeah. like it being in an attic and being under your quilt and things like that. So you can't <laughs> even hide under the bed because it's 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 there. Yeah, just it was all that sort of stuff that, and I've never been able to watch it again. And I wonder if I watched it now, if I'd just laugh at like how bad some of the visual effects and stuff are. Okay, so how old were you? I must have been, I'm going to say about like 15 or 16 or something when that came out. Okay. Maybe a little bit younger. Um, how old were you when you first saw The Shining? I would have been. I would have been about 18, I think. Okay. Um, okay. So the same age as me. Once. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, would, I would have been in university when I watched it for the first time. Okay. When I was going through that phase of like going through all, watching all the older movies that I hadn't seen before. Okay. Um, but I would say, like, weirdly with horror, I, I, my favorite horror movie is Scream. Like I like that, okay. that, uh, meta self-awareness yeah. but like also That's taking yourself the meta to- self-aware generation oh totally. Yeah. But isn't it? I do love Scream. I think Scream yeah. is great, but I, I think, think it's, it's so brilliant and so rewatchable and so, expertly directed so clearly directed by somebody who understands horror movies and understands how to make something scary like i also like something that i think is massively unappreciated in scream is the reference to what i think it's a reference to um psycho because you the cover is of drew barrymore the opening scene is entirely of drew barrymore one of the biggest stars of the 90s and then you kill her off straight away like i love all that sort of stuff like that that's the sort of texture that i I really get excited about i think scream is is a really great fun roller coaster ride and i and i like the fact that when it's nasty it's not scared to be nasty exactly yeah the only thing i'd say is that Wes Craven's new nightmare is. is I've is, never is, seen that. You see, Wes, Wes Craven's new nightmare is where all that begins. Yeah, isn't that the reason why Scream got made? Well, I mean, it's it's yeah, and it's it's like a dry run for it. Because Do you know as well that the original title for Scream was Scary Movie? I think I did know that, and I remember interviewing Craven about it because I made a documentary for Channel Four mm. some years ago called Scream and Scream Again, which was basically a history of the slasher movie, and. I asked Craven how he felt about the scary movie thing. and I mean, Craven, I've seen this. I've seen this documentary you Okay, did. and it was interesting because he said, he said this thing about, and he was, he was slightly wounded by it. Yeah. He I think, said, he said he th- when he saw it, he thought, wow, things move really fast Yes, in that was exactly town. it, yeah. And that was his, it was almost like, because he, he sort of felt... It was like, oh, I've been lumped in with all that lot. Yeah, he felt that it, it kind of trashed Scream really quickly afterwards. Yeah. 
Um, Same and, company as well, Dimension Films. Yeah, but also it seemed to me to be because you know because Scream had that self-referential thing to then make scary movie. It's like yeah, you're doing it about yeah. a film that's already I done it. Why are you that really bothers me? So, you're like, spoofing a spoof. Yeah, What's so wrong why with you? are you doing it? But <laughs> it's like Craven, a sneaky in his own Wes tail. Wes Craven's new nightmare is the is the is the, the, the you know the motherload of all that stuff. Okay, okay, all right. Um, well, I think I think once again you've managed to convince me that that there is. There is something in there that's scary. I think it's nice after all this time that you can hear a different perspective again and be like, oh, that's something I haven't heard before. Like, I think that there's, there's, there's clearly something... I mean, you already said it, that like, you can project something onto it and it will give it back. That I went in there with that, obviously, in, yeah. in myself, and that's what I took from it, and that's who I ident- identified with. And I think it's great that you can hear that and go, oh, oh yeah, I've just not thought about it that way before. Yeah, yeah. And it clearly has a lot in there that you can you can appreciate and you can you can enjoy like, and even just for, for me like other than other than that stuff what i really think it's about obviously is all that but i could just turn the scenes on where he's in the bar and just enjoy those yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly those are really great scenes those are really really his great his performance scenes. is so brilliant yeah, in that. and the thing about you know i collected them all that stuff they're individually really really great scenes they just don't scare me Thanks for listening to this Kermode on Film podcast. Jack Howard will be back with us in a couple of weeks' time to discuss a rather more contemporary release. In the meantime, it just remains for me to say Happy New Year to all our listeners. If you're enjoying Kermode on Film, then please do subscribe. And if you haven't listened to the last couple of episodes, I run down my top 10 best and worst movies of 2018 in the previous two Kermode on Film episodes. So do give them a listen and let me know what you think. The best way to get in touch is through Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Kermode Movie and mark your question or your comment hashtag Kermode on Film. Also, if you want to come and see a live show, I'm doing a couple of live shows for my book tour, which is How Does It Feel? One in Birmingham and one in Newcastle. I'll be in Birmingham at the Birmingham Rep on the 21st of January and in Newcastle on the Northern Stage on the 4th of February. If you're interested in coming along and hearing me talk about my fantastically exciting life as a failed rock musician, then just go to markkermode.co.uk where there's a link to all the tickets. Uh, In the meantime, Happy New Year and tune in again to Kermode on Film. Thanks very much. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.